Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. But we found a home, beautiful home, open floor plan, all this stuff, right? Got super excited about this uh, about this home, got the pre-approval and all that stuff ahead of time. And I got a call probably like a week, a week and a half later um, from the mortgage lender saying that I couldn't be approved for this loan because my student loans were in forbearance. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice. And today I am so excited to share another amazing and inspiring debt payoff story with you. We're going to be joined by Leo Jean-Louis, co-founder of Freedom is a Choice Movement, a business created to teach millennials how to become debt-free. Leo started his journey to debt freedom when he realized that debt was stopping him and his wife from living the life that they wanted. He began to learn everything he could about personal finance, and after posting his debt payoff journey on social media, the story went viral. Since becoming a money coach, Leo has been able to create debt payoff plans for individuals and families totaling over $4.45 million. And his money tips and personal finance journey have been featured on Yahoo Finance and the Steve Harvey TV show, just to name a few. Leo lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his beautiful wife, Faith, and their firstborn son. 
Leo and his wife were able to pay off $224,000 of debt in just two and a half years. And I cannot wait for you to hear the tips and the tricks that Leo learned along the way that helped them achieve this amazing milestone. I love their story and I can't wait for you to hear it too. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Leo, welcome to the podcast. I am super, super excited to have you here. Uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to speak to you and to be here with your audience. Thank you so much. I would love for you to start off by introducing yourself. Yeah, my name is Leo Jean-Louis. I am a millennial money coach. I am 100% Haitian um, and I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, by day, I'm an occupational therapist and I guess you can say I'm a small business owner um, of Freedom is a Choice Movement, um, money coaching business where I primarily help people get out of debt, stay out of debt without being miserable in the process. <laughs> I think that's the key, right? Because debt payoff can feel like, I mean, modern day bondage, if you will. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And here's the thing. You don't quite know how much of a slave you are to um to your debt until you have to work it um work to pay it off. I know that's then right. Then you get to see it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you have quite the story. Um I would say if if it's me um describing what kind of resonated with with me when I found your content was you paid off like a massive amount of debt. Can you tell us specifically how much and in how much time you were able to do that? Yeah. So when my wife and I got married in summer of 2017, we had a combined debt of $211,000 worth of debt. So when we Oof. said I do, we were saying I do to all of that. <laughs> and um, in our first year of marriage, we paid off $104,000 of debt. That was our first major milestone as a couple. And um, in two and a half years, we paid off $224,000 of debt and became debt-free completely besides our mortgage um, in November of 2019. That's a staggering number. So we definitely have to break down how you guys were able to accomplish that because it, it just kind of <laughs> makes my jaw drop. I'm just like, but how? So before we get into that, I love starting off the interview with this question because I feel like, um, you know, when we're talking about people of color, we don't learn a lot of positive things with money, I find, when I talk to my guests. And so I'm curious what your relationship was like with money growing up. And can you talk me through kind of what you learned or what you learned not to do? Yes. And so I'm a first generation Haitian American. And 
Um, in the Haitian culture, uh, we learn to work hard. That is number one. So, for example, I've watched my mom work six days a week for as long as I can remember, like all the way back to elementary school. Um, I, I would see her working like six days a week. And till this day, she is still working six days a week. And she is over 60 and working that much. So work ethic and working hard um, was a big thing and is a big thing in our culture and a big part of where I get my work ethic from. Mm -hmm. um, but my relationship with money was um, I learned to be content with what I had. So I grew up in Haiti for part of my childhood and you know, just living in that environment alone and watching, you know, kids in the neighborhood play soccer, basically like kicking rocks, playing with, um, you know, messed up soccer balls and just with, you know, two rocks as a goalpost, um, seeing people just find, at least the kids find joy in like the smallest of things. Like we used to play like this, uh, like mar shoot marbles. Uh, I don't think they do that nowadays, but just, you know, finding joy in those kind of things. So that kind of shift my perspective on money. And I just learned to be content with what I had. So when I moved to the U.S. for good, um, I didn't really want for much. And so my relationship with money was, um, you know, you work hard to earn it and you try your best to keep it. And um, yeah, th that was in essence, my relationship with money growing up. Mm -hmm. And so how old were you when you came to the U.S.? So I was actually born here. I was born in Miami. Um, so a friend of my mom's gave her the advice to give birth to me in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that was one of the best pieces of advice my mom was ever given <laughs> and taken, right? So I moved back to Haiti um, and I was there for most of my elementary school. And then I moved here for good back to Florida, my in middle school, sixth grade. So 12, maybe 11, 12. Okay. So I can imagine growing up in Haiti and then coming to the US, it's quite a culture shock, I would imagine. And um, I think one of the signatures of American society for better or for worse is this obsession with consumerism. And so I'm wondering if like you noticed that as a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was always, you know, the latest and the greatest, um, especially around like Christmas time. It was all about, you know, getting toys and, you know, advertisement and and, you know, with the kids in my, you know, school, like middle school, especially is like, you know, I got this, I got that. So it was definitely a culture shock. And we were not used to that back in Haiti at all. Like we were mm -hmm. just happy just to be together as cousins and playing around and having like sleepovers and stuff. So yeah, definitely a culture shock. Yeah, for sure. So tell me about the debt. Where did it come from? Primarily student loans, about 198,000 of it was um, student loans between grad school and undergrad for my wife and I. So Mm -hmm. 198,000 were student loans, and then we had credit cards and a personal loan to make up the rest. Okay. Did you understand the full impact of those student loans when you were taking them out, or was it just kind of something that you got to do in order to get ahead in life? 
Oh, I absolutely did not understand one bit. I mean, even the whole college thing, I don't even know how I ended up in college. Um, <laughs> to tell you the truth, because I wanted to be a basketball player um, as young as I can remember, probably in middle school too. And, you know, you couldn't tell me anything. Like I was going to the NBA and that was that, right? right. Um, but reality, right? I That, you know, that wasn't God's plan. And so I found myself in high school in, I forget what class it was, but it was a class like that was preparing us for um, life after college. I mean, <laughs> adulting like, 101. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And we were forced as part of the curriculum to, um, to apply to at least one school. It was like an in-state school. So that was my first experience with like, applying for college, I really had no plans for it. And the college that I ended up going to, um, it was primarily because my cousin already went there um, and told me about all the parties that they were having over there. And so I was like, oh, okay, this sounds like a, like a good place to be. And so I applied there. And so, yeah, I didn't give it much thought. Um, didn't have any idea what tuition was for the year. Um, all I knew was that it was the thing to do. Everybody else was doing it. And I only actually applied to that one, um, aside from the one we were forced to apply to. And luckily I got in because I don't know what else I would have done. Um, but yeah, I just found myself there like many other college um, kids or college freshmen, at least, not having the conversation, no one ever telling me the implications of borrowing money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just found myself there basically. It's kind of staggering when you think about the fact that our society is completely okay with burdening 18, 19, 20 year old kids, like with six figures worth of debt and like nobody bats an eye at this. Oh yeah. It's a huge <laughs> problem. And I mean, in this day and age, at least in our current climate, they're talking about like student loan forgiveness and all that stuff. That's right. a big topic. And while I think that's great, I do find some issues with it, not in terms of the forgiveness part, but it's more like a Band-Aid on the issue because you don't address what you just mentioned, like no one being properly educated, these kids not being properly educated on, is your degree going to be worth the amount of debt that you're signing up for? Right. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, it blows my mind that you can be like, let's say a teacher. And I love teachers, like a very important part of our society. They do so much for our our kids, right? Mm -hmm. But there are some teachers going into like hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and their salary does not does not justify it. But absolutely. It's allowed. So Yeah. It's, it's the same thing with, uh, I have a lot of friends who are social workers and you have to get a master's to be a social worker. And the average salary is like $40,000. Meanwhile, they're taking out a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 in debt. And I'm just like, why does anybody like not recognize that this is a problem? Um, and why are you paying the same amount of money for a bachelor's degree in science as you are for a bachelor's degree in psychology or a bachelor's degree in accounting? Like the earning prospects of each of these career paths is entirely different, but you're all paying the same price for it. Right. And there's actually no guarantee that, A, you're even going to be able to get a job in your field 
or B, that once you get this degree that you're even going to want to do that. And then what? Or if you drop out, you still got to pay that debt. Exactly. Yep. Once you sign that promissory note, you are on the hook. Yeah. And God forbid you get your parents involved in co-signing loans. Then it's like you're setting up multiple generations for just decades upon decades of, of debt. Absolutely. And the system in general profits off of financial illiteracy and financial mm-hmm. like ignorance and financial stupidity. So that's just what our system is like. And you don't know what you don't know, and you can hurt yourself and your family quite a bit by making certain decisions based off of what you don't know. Right. So before you decided that you wanted debt freedom, what was your situation like? Were you just making minimum payments on your debt or what What, what were you up to? All right. So I think there are two two scenarios or two um, life events that occurred that um, led me to wanting to be debt-free. The first was um, I had been working for probably two years at this point, and my wife and I were courting, dating at the time, and rent was going up, right? Um, I lived in Atlanta. Um, rent was going up, and I was like, you know what? I'm not about to pay more for rent. This is like a mortgage. So let me look into getting a home. And so, you know, we started looking, we weren't living um, together at the, at this time. Um, but because I knew I wanted to marry her, I had her involved in the process because she would need to give approval on the home that she would be living in once we got married and all that jazz. Right. But we found a home, beautiful home, open floor plan, all this stuff. Right. Got super excited about this um, about this home, got the pre-approval and all that stuff ahead of time. And I got a call probably like a week, a week and a half later um, from the mortgage lender saying that I couldn't be approved for this loan because my student loans were in forbearance, mm. right? So that was my first major like, oh, debt can really stand in your way, stand in the way of you accomplishing your goals. And they said, unless you take your student loans off of forbearance and start paying them, um, we cannot approve you for this loan because forbearance shows some type of hardship. Yeah. I just want to ask you, why were they in forbearance? Oh, because when I started working, I wanted to enjoy my money. I didn't want to start paying (laughs) these people back. Like It was my first career job and I just wanted to enjoy and keep money in my pocket. And with with that amount of debt, what was that monthly payment going to look like? So mine by myself was about 80,000. So when I finally started paying on it and started paying the minimum payment, it was about 700-ish. But when we got married, it was a $2,000 minimum payment. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. All right. So tell me more. Your your first light bulb moment was, oh, crap, I cannot get a mortgage with my student loans and forbearance. What was the other one? Uh, The other one was a conversation with my mom, my dear mother, uh, whom I love. And, you know, like I said, she's the hardest working person I know. And I was having a conversation with her one day and she told me that she doesn't know if she'll be able to retire. Mm. And that kind of broke my heart. And I was like, the hardest working person I know above 60, I think she's 62 now, told me that she could not retire. 
And like my heart just dropped. And I was like, man, if I only knew what I know now back then, maybe I could have helped. So all these thoughts started like running through my head and come to find out the reason she's saying that the primary reason is because she's in a lot of debt. Mm. And so that was literally like impacting her life during a time when she should be like looking forward to like no longer working. Right. And so those two, those two events. So while I emulated her um, work ethic, I was like, yeah, I got to get, got to get out of debt and, Mm -hmm. you know, break out of these chains or else I'm going to find myself like 30, 40 years later in the same predicament. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that is a major wake up call. And, you know, they say everything happens for a reason. I mean, I, I truly believe that. And maybe this is just what your journey was meant to be because now you're on the other side of it, educating people about how they can avoid this exact same situation And so let's talk about what you actually did. Walk me through your debt payoff journey and how the hell did you manage to pull together $224,000 of payments towards debt in two and a half years? Yes. So the journey (laughs) began, I I mean, there were a series of things, but we started having conversations about money before we got married. And so that's, we knew how much debt we each owed prior to us getting married. That's really important because I don't know how many people actually have this conversation and really get down and dirty with their future spouse about what the financial picture looks like. And I have a feeling that that's why a lot of marriages fail. So kudos to you guys for just being out and you know open and upfront from the beginning because I think you're definitely setting yourselves up for you know success. Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to bring everything to the table. So baggage and all just bring it all to the table and if you can love the person through all of that then you know that you have a good one yeah for it so yeah that was that was a must in the beginning of our relationship and you know my wife didn't even know how much debt she owed and i imagine so many people are in that same boat so i'll give you a, a quick story uh, with uh, her we were dating and she was offering to pay for meals now there's nothing wrong with women paying for meals Nothing like that, right? But I knew she wasn't working, right? So I was like, where's all this money coming from you keep offering, right? And come to find out, she had $8,000 just sitting in her bank account from Sally Mae that she just took out in addition to like to cover, you know, tuition and any other educational expenses she had, just chilling there. And so I asked her to give it back because I had already been you know, working for a few years already and started to pay back on my loans. And um, she hesitated, but she ended up giving it back because in my mind, it was like that $8,000 by the time we get married is going to be much more than that with variable interest rate that she had of like, I think her interest rate was probably like 9% variable at the time. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, you should probably give that back. And so she ended up giving it back, and that's when I knew she was the one. And, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so having conversations definitely helped. I mean, we even had a date night, as corny as this may be. We even had like a date night where I we worked on an essay for school because she was in um, nursing school at the time, and that essay ended up winning her a scholarship to pay for her master's program. Oh, wow. And so all of these things came about because we were having intentional conversations about money way before we got married. And so fast forward, um, we had premarital counseling. 
and our pastors at um, asked us like, what's the vision for your marriage? And we had to, you know, go back and, you know, talk about it and come back the next session and, you know, have a whole like little session about the vision for our marriage. And so when we had that conversation, the biggest thing that stood in our way of doing the things that we wanted to do was our debt. And so we started with our why. And so that's how our journey started with our why. And we tell all of our clients to start with their why and not to start with the numbers because the numbers can be overwhelming, especially when we're talking about hundreds of thousand dollars of debt. Um, so we don't even start with the numbers. We tell them to start with their why. And you start with the end in mind, and then you work your way backwards. And so your why is what's going to keep you motivated. Your why is what's going to keep your priorities straight. Um, and when your why is clear, then the how becomes easier. Yep, for sure. And what was your why? Yeah, I'll give you a couple. So we wanted to build generational wealth. So we are... Um, are big on generational wealth. So, um, and not, not only like monetarily more so like generational wealth in terms of like knowledge too. So we wanted to make sure we were in a a good position to pass down knowledge. So, you know, teaching them how to fish kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And, um, but also wealth. So we want our money to outlast us. So that was one thing we wanted to travel, a lot as um, a household and we wanted to be able to give generously. So those were a few of our whys. And then as far as the strategies that you use, did you start side hustling? Like what did you guys do? Yes. So the so after we established our why, the next thing we did was we budgeted, right? So, you know, a lot of financial experts say, you know, cut down your expenses and do all that stuff, right? You have to know where you stand. And so that's where the budget comes in. It shows you, you know, what you have to work with. And so we started off by decreasing our expenses first. So if you can imagine as a newlywed, we kind of had to get adjusted to, you know, groceries and all these other expenses um, that, we weren't accustomed to having together. And so we cut down as much as we can. And I remember like, you know, telling my wife like, oh, let's try to cut more on the grocery budget. Let's try to cut more. On the, like every week I would go back to her and like ask, can we cut a little bit more? And then I, at one point she was like, we cannot cut anymore. Like we're really down to like the max that we can do or the minimum that we can do. And at that point we switched our gears to increasing our income. and so. I would say that increasing our income was probably the most impactful thing that we've done monetarily. This is what I always tell people. I'm like, you cannot build wealth from a place of scarcity. Cutting is not enough. Oh, no, it's not enough. And there's uh, like there's only so much meat you can take off the bone, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a limit there, whereas your earning potential is limitless. And so once we change gears to increasing our income, yeah, it was it was gravy from that point on. Like, <laughs> like our first our first year of side hustles, like we had five jobs between um, the both of us. So I had my primary job um, as an occupational therapist, and then I picked up shifts on the weekend um, at hospitals. Um, mm-hmm. where you, they would give you a PRN rate, so a higher pay rate because you didn't have benefits and all that stuff. So I'd pick up shifts every Saturday on the holidays. And then my wife, she worked her primary job and then she would 
um, babysit and also do like nighttime nursing. And so we had five jobs between the two of us and in our first. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. First year of side hustling, we made 66000 between the two of us, like wow. before taxes. And so, yeah, that showed us the power of side hustle and having extra income outside of primary job. And yeah, we kept that going and that allowed us to accelerate our debt payoff and now like the two and a half years seems much more feasible because we did 66 our first year inside hustles and then we did 40 our second year inside hustles. And yeah, so 100K in the first two years and then 224,000 in two and a half years seems a lot more feasible. That's awesome. And one thing that stands out for me is like, it can probably feel when you're going through that process of just like this endless exhaustion, if you will, because it just sounds like a really intense process. So like, how did you stay motivated to keep going, even though I'm sure you guys were probably spending less time together? And it, it could probably feel like, you know, damn, like, when is this going to be over? Yeah, so our why kept us motivated. But in addition to that was understanding, like, the alternative, right? The alternative was for us to continue making $2,000 minimum payments for the next 15 years. And in those 15 years, guess how much interest we would have paid if we just paid the minimum? I can't even imagine. 125000 Wow. interest on top of the two eleven that we owed. And so the alternative just wasn't an option for us. And so we kept that as uh, motivation. We kept our why as motivation. And then we celebrated along the way. We didn't do this quite as well in the beginning. Um, and I'll take you know full responsibility for that. It was like, because all of our money was going towards debt, 
at least in the first year, like even when we had PTO, it was like, well, all of our money is going towards debt. So why even take the PTO? So Mm. that was not good and was not healthy. So our second year, we learned from that. And we tell our clients this too, is to celebrate along the way. It doesn't have to be anything extravagant, but make milestones like $5,000 payments. Like when you get to your $5,000 threshold of debt that you've paid off, you know, take some time, you know, go get a manicure, go get a pedicure, whatever it is for you, do that to give yourself some encouragement along the way. And um, yeah, we did that our second year much better. And so those were some of the things that we did, kept um, our communication um, open in terms of like how we were feeling because it does. So when you're on a debt-free journey, like it seems like forever (laughs) when you're in the middle of it, it seems like forever. And like, you can be working so hard and feel like you're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it is really, it is really challenging. And another thing we did that we encourage other folks to do is to get some accountability. And so other people who are like-minded, who are pursuing the same goals, um, get around those people because they'll keep you motivated as well. And you can find fun things to do with them that don't cost money. Well, we did a lot of potluck style get togethers with our friends. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, we probably spent like $15, $20 every time we like linked up with them and it didn't cost as much as, as it would if we went out to a restaurant or went out to a concert or something like that. And so mm-hmm. get around some folks who can motivate you, encourage you, lift you up when you're feeling down. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's major. Such good advice. And I can definitely attest to all of that also working for me. So um, yeah, I can definitely see why you guys were so successful because you really kept the vision at the forefront and built the systems around you to reach that goal and then some. So what does life look like now that you're debt-free outside of your mortgage? Like, how did you guys celebrate? And what are you doing now with all this extra income that you were generating, right? Like, I, I imagine you can do some pretty amazing stuff with that now. Yes. So we are (laughs) celebrating our first full year of being debt free. And let me tell you, so much more is possible when you're debt free. And so a lot of people, and even us when we were in debt, like you miss out on so many opportunities when you're in debt because you're you're cash strapped, right? right? You don't have enough cash flow in order to take advantage of opportunities. And so one of the things that we've been able to do this year and was a huge focus for us was investing. And when I say investing is like going full throttle, like we want to go, our plan was to go just as hard, if not harder towards building wealth as we did like towards paying off our debt. And so this year in 2020, we were able to save and invest um, over a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And so that has allowed us to like max out Roth IRAs, um, 401k, HSA, our full emergency fund. Um, We took a couple of trips this year um, domestically, even in the midst of COVID. And then we didn't have the stress and you can't put a price tag on like the peace and like not having stress. And so those were like huge, like we can breathe a little easier um, now that we're debt free. Like our decisions aren't made based on like us having to pay somebody else. Yeah. So especially with COVID, like I couldn't imagine having debt in the middle of COVID. Like I couldn't imagine like wondering if I'm going to keep my job 
in addition to wondering how I'm going to pay these people, in addition to like my financial uh, or my uh, mental health and all this other stuff. And so not having to pay other people, other lenders was huge during this time because we were just able to focus on ourselves and focus on, you know, making sure that we're healthy physically and emotionally throughout this entire pandemic. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been an eye-opening experience as far as like what we're able to do now that we're debt-free and the sky is the limit. Absolutely. And that that's such a good point that you bring up about the lessons, the financial lessons that this year has taught us. I actually became debt-free like three weeks before the pandemic started. And wow. I look back and I'm like, damn, that was good timing. <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. I'm like, you know, the not having to worry about what's going to happen with my job and if I'm going to be able to pay my debt, like it's it's yeah. a freedom that I really don't think can be adequately described until you experience it for yourself. And I think, you know, our society has normalized debt to the point where it almost feels like it's a rite of passage. And so people like you that are talking about this alternative and are teaching people how to really tackle this and and treat debt the way that it should be. It's like, it's not something you should aspire to. It's just something you should really strive to get away from as much as possible. Like it's a whole mindset shift. Oh, absolutely. I think the more that we spread that message that, you know, debt is honestly just paying for the privilege to owe somebody money. I mean, when you say it like that, it's kind of like, I don't want that privilege. I'm good. I'd like to keep it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's passive income to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, it keeps you looking in the rearview mirror. And this is how I describe it too. It's like, picture this. I want you to picture this and your audience to picture this, right? I want you to picture going outside and trying to run full speed while looking backwards. Mm. Like imagine doing that, like literally going outside right now in your in your on your street and try running full steam ahead and looking backwards. And that's what debt has us doing. It has us like, there's no way you'll be able to reach your goals. Um, as fast as you would want um, if you're constantly paying for stuff from the past. Mm -hmm. Every dollar that goes toward interest, right, because that's the cost you pay for borrowing money, every dollar you pay towards interest is a dollar that you can't use to build wealth. And so, yeah, being in debt is oppressive, um, but that's kind of what we're sold. We're sold this American dream that, you know, you go to college rack up all this debt, then you buy the house, then you buy the car. And yeah, that's what we're sold. And so like we grow up all of our lives. I mean, it's, I mean, I can go into so much in terms of like the education system. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. Why do you think that as a POC wealth builder, right? It's not a normal thing to talk about building wealth as a person of color. So what is it that you see as the biggest roadblock that our communities face? in order to get past this consumerist paycheck to paycheck lifestyle? Ah, that's a great question. Uh, I want to say a few things. So mindset is a big thing. Lack of education. So financial lack of, you know, financial literacy is a huge thing. And I just believe that you, you don't know what you don't know. So I'll, I'll stay with the financial literacy part. You don't know what you don't know. Right. So for many of us, our parents didn't know, Beyond saving, they didn't know much, right? In terms of money, in terms of building wealth, right? They knew how to work hard. They knew how to save um, for the most part, but they didn't really know 
much besides that, right? And so when you don't know, all of your decisions are based off of what you don't know. And so you're making all of these, like some big decisions in life that there's these crossroads that you come across and you're making these big decisions in life with a lack of information. And so I think that's a huge thing. And with regards to like the education system is like we go to school for like 18 years, then you add on another four years of college, right? And then some people go and get advanced degrees, but no one really talks to us about money during this whole time. We're taught to be employees. No one talks about entrepreneurship. Um, And we just have this mindset. So all of this stuff is like teaching us and training us how to be employees, how to work for a paycheck. And yeah. And so we're just operating on a lack of information. And so these companies, like imagine how hard it would be for that car dealership to sell you a car if you weren't trained the way that we were trained. Like if we knew better, like if we were taught these things, like it'd be much harder for the the car dealership to sell you a $30,000 car, um, 6% interest rate for 68 months, right? And so the system benefits off of financial illiteracy and ignorance. And so, yeah, I think that's a big, a big area where us as influencers and money coaches can step in and bridge the gap. There's this, an area where we as um, individuals need to look internally too, because it's not all like external, right? External is like knowing what to do. But the internal part is when you do get the information, how do you use that information properly? Or do you use it at all? (laughs) Or do you use it at all? So there's an internal thing going on as well. Yeah in the midst of this whole thing. And um, and that's where like money coaches can help people like understand like their money story and why they spend the way they do. Like, are they operating from a scarcity mindset and all this other stuff that plays a role mm-hmm. because having the information is not enough. It's needed, but it's not enough. And so that mindset thing is a, is a huge thing as well. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, you know, for me, I feel like it also is a result of the lack of representation of what wealth looks like in our communities. Because when I think of wealthy Latinos or wealthy African-Americans, like I think of celebrities or like athletes or rappers or musicians. And I'm like, okay, like, where's the normal, like I built a, an Amazon Like, where are those people? Where's the entrepreneurs? Where's the investment titans like the Warren Buffetts of of our communities? And it's like, if you don't see that in your own space, like, how the hell would you even assume that that's possible for you? That's so good. I'm glad you brought that up, too, because I've had conversations with my wife about this. She works in peds and pediatrics. And when we first got married, she was working in inner city. And she recently started working in um, the suburbs. So she moved and she started working in the suburbs. And the difference between like her conversations with the inner city kids and the kids who are in the suburbs are like, like night and day in terms of like what they even want to be. Like when you ask that question, like, what do you want to be? So in the inner city, she would hear, you know, the common things like, oh, I want to be an athlete, want to be 
movie person. I want to be police officer, fire, um, fireman or woman and all that stuff. Right. So the common things. But in the suburbs, she would hear like different things that she would have to go and look up. <laughs> like it was crazy. Like she was telling me about a kid who like watched birds and would like study birds and would have um, binoculars and would literally go back home, research the birds and do all this stuff. And there's a name for it apparently. And yeah, it would be stuff like that. And that's one of her, like one of the things that makes her angry is like the lack of representation because you only emulate what's around you. Mm-hmm. And so your mind is not even open to the possibilities, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that is huge. Well, and I think it just speaks to the importance of the work that people like you are doing to normalize this idea that there is an alternative. So um, thank you for for being an important voice in this space. Absolutely. It's my duty. I feel like it's a, it's a duty. So um, yeah, I feel like I kind of stumbled into it. <laughs> As many of us do. <laughs> uh-huh. And if the next generation doesn't have to, we'd be so um, far ahead in terms of um, people of color. And so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this concept of financial self-care. So if you've never heard what it is sort of defined as, you know, self-care in itself is pretty well known as like, you know, taking care of your mental health and making sure that you build balance into your life and maybe even doing things like going to the spa or getting your nails done or whatever, whatever it is that you need to do to kind of decompress and make sure that you are whole mentally, physically, spiritually. But I feel like there's also this concept of financial self-care where you're making decisions that are in your best interest financially. So what does that mean to you? Uh, to me, it means basically just taking care of your money so your money can take care of you, not only in the present, but also in the future. And I'm a big proponent of, you know, enjoying the journey and that the road to where you want to be is just as important as the destination. And so it doesn't do, I mean, a lot of people, when they talk about budgeting, when they talk about their debt-free journey, um, it's not as attractive because people have a picture and an image of what that is and they see it as restrictive. And I find that it's really, it's not sustainable for you to just deprive yourself along your journey um, and to just enjoy these moments because they're not going to, you know, come back again. You're not going to have them again. And so there is a healthy balance between, and I have to tell myself this all the time, like there's a healthy balance between wanting to reach your goals and actually taking care of yourself. Like this is the formula, people over money, over things. And so you got to prioritize your relationships. You got to prioritize like spending time with the people that, you know, mean the most to you. Like um, what good is it to have, you know, $2 million, $3 million if you're by yourself? Like Mm -hmm. that's pretty, that sucks. And so taking care of yourself in terms of making sure you're surrounded by the people you love, and then also making sure that you keep those things in your budget that bring you life, mm. or give you life. And so I never tell anyone to like completely eliminate everything on their debt-free journey. I always tell them, keep what are the two to three most important things to you outside of like your necessities? Like keep those things and eliminate everything else. So if it's manicures and pedicures for you, keep that in your budget. 
and eliminate everything else. You can't have your cake and eat it too at this time. This is temporary, but at least keep the things that, you know, give you a good quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. I love the concept of value-based spending because it really gives a purpose for what you actually spend money on. I, I definitely believe that money over everything is meant to enhance your life and it's not meant to feel like something that you should have a negative connotation with or that it should feel like that you don't deserve to use it or that you shouldn't use it or it's irresponsible to use it on things that are important to you. Like that's why we work for the money. Yep. It's a tool. Yep. Okay. So what advice would you give now that you're on the other side for somebody who wants to get control of their finances, but doesn't know where to start? I would tell them to start with their why. And it may be a a cliche thing, but um, you have to know where you're headed and why you're headed there. Like even for savings goals, right? It's like, why do you want to save $10,000? Like, why? Like, is that an arbitrary number? Why do you want to pay off debt? What is your why? And so establish those whys, write them down because um, the clearer the vision, the fewer the choices and the easier the decision. And so establish your why first and foremost, like put an image to it. So if your why is to travel, like I'm a huge fan of creating vision boards and you can do them digitally now, uh, but creating vision boards of what you want your life to be like post debt freedom. So you can like visualize and you know, if it's to be um, at a beach somewhere, like put some images of a beach. If it's to have manis and petties and um, lattes and all that stuff every day, like put that on your vision board, but really visualize it. And that's really a trick for your brain to get you to buy into what it is that you're doing. And so I tell people to start there and the next thing is just to start. So th- you're never going to be like 100% ready. Mm-hmm. And so you just have to put one foot in front of, in front of the other. At the end of the day, progress, progress is progress, no matter how slow. Um, so just start. And yeah, just make the decision to start. And your life could be completely different. Like that one decision could change your life and your family tree like forever. And so start with your why and like just start, put one foot in, one foot in front of the other. Yep. It's, it's a matter of building a habit the same way that you would if you want to start exercising or you want to lose weight or something. Money and your relationship with it is formed by the habits that you implement. So what is your money mantra? Freedom is a choice. So that's the name of our business. And we really came up with this name like, my wife and I were talking, we were like, yo, we don't know what to name this business. And <laughs> and then it just basically came down as like everything that got us to where we are today was based on a decision. And for all of your listeners, like you're one decision away from a completely different life. So when we look at what we've been able to do and all that we've been able to accomplish, it came down to this one thing, our choices. So it was a series of choices we made along the way to say like enough is enough, a choice to budget, a choice to work our side hustles, a choice to say no, mm. right? No is a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. And so our, our money mantra is like freedom is a choice. And so we encourage people to make that one decision that will change their lives forever. And it's a series of choices, right? We make a billion choices a day when you think about it. 
like a billion choices a day. And so are your choices and your decisions bringing you closer to your goals or further away from your goals? Mm-hmm. Like is, is your decision to do X, Y, and Z costing you debt freedom and the ability to live the life that you want? And so, um, yeah, we live by that mantra. I'm going to have to steal that. It's too good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. By all means. Yes. Leo, this has been an amazing conversation. And for folks that want to find out more about you and work with you, where can we find you? I'm mostly on Instagram at Louis. So that's Leo.J-E-A-N as in Nancy, L-O-U-I-S as in Sam. So if you want to work with me, that My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. That's the best place to find me. And you can also check out my book, Got Debt, The Seven Bulletproof Steps to Debt Freedom on Amazon or on my website, freedomisachoicemvt.com, where I share all the strategies my wife and I use to pay off all our debt and how you can become debt free too. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Your story is super inspiring and I can't wait to continue to watch all the amazing things that I know you and your wife are going to accomplish as a result of pursuing debt freedom. Thank you for being here and thank you for being, like I said, such an important voice in this space. Uh, Thank you so much for having me and for what you're doing and for using your platform to uh, help people of color build wealth like it's i'm i'm inspired by your story as well so thank you for having me thank you so much i hope this episode inspires you to kick debt's ass in 2021 after all life is too damn short to be living with debt and just pretending like it doesn't exist so do something that your future self will thank you for today Start making moves on your debt so that you can start living a life that is really financially free. As a reminder, if you love the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and don't want the experience to end here, visit our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you'll find free personal finance articles, tips, our favorite money tools, information about our upcoming events, and more. You can join us on social at Yo Quiero Dinero Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. And if you want even more community, join our mailing list. Just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com and sign up for our free newsletter where you'll get exclusive discounted offers to our live events, notifications of new blog posts and podcast episodes, and my best personal finance tips delivered straight to your inbox. Until next time, stay motivated, stay inspired, stay empowered, and stay poderosa.
On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.